turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12 this morning. And on your sort of green little notice sheet on your chairs, you'll notice there's a little outline on the left-hand side that just gives us a bit of uh, guidance on where we're going to be going this morning. I hope you find that helpful. Um, and just so you know, before we get started, I mentioned earlier that I'm partially sighted, so I use basically a giant iPad to look at my notes. And so if I'm doing that, it's not because I'm not, I don't like you or anything like that. It's just sometimes I, I just need to uh, make reference to this, but anyway, hopefully it won't be, uh, won't be off-putting. But um, James chapter 1, and I will read verses 1 to 12 for us. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is God's word to us. Well, if you can keep your Bibles open at James chapter 1, it's great. It's really good to see you all, whether you're joining us in person or whether you're joining us online. It's really good to see you all. My friends, trials, they are an area within the Christian life that we need to learn and relearn to navigate. You know as well as I do that the Christian life can be hard even when things are going well. But when trials come and when there's difficulty... Things can often feel really unbearable, can't they? You find yourself in a situation where you can't help but think, you know, circumstances just could not get any worse. And then they do. And that's the situation for a number of us here today. There are many here at Hollywell who are going through particular times of trial and suffering. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed, isn't it? It might be a physical kind of trial. It might be social. Or it might be spiritual. Or perhaps given the season we've been going through with the coronavirus, perhaps all of these things. But James, the half-brother of Jesus and the servant of God, who we've been reading from this passage, he wants to say to us today, whatever your situation is, 
Don't let it finish you as a Christian. And more than that, James wants to say to us, don't just scrape through and survive by the skin of your teeth. No, James actually wants us to grow through suffering and trials. And so in verse 12, he holds out this amazing prospect. Have a look down at verse 12. Well, just take a listen. Listen to what James says in verse 12. He says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, for having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 12, it's an amazing prospect, isn't it? If we are feeling overwhelmed of being able to persevere under trial and of being able to stand the test. And so I guess the question for many of us here this morning is this. Well, how do I do that? Because that kind of sounds like the kind of Christian I'm not. You know, the kind of just grit your teeth and just go for it Christian. That's just not me. And so I guess the question for us is this. How do we get from my situation where there might be some kind of trial to verse 12? Well, you won't be surprised to hear that the answer involves going through verses 2 to 11, which is what we're going to do this morning. As we do that, we're going to see that James provides us with three pieces of pastoral advice that will help us in perseverance under trial and thus receive that crown of life. And the first one is this, as you will see on the notice sheet. It says this, consider it pure joy. Verses 2 to 4, consider it pure joy. Verse 2, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice a couple of things here. James firstly says, consider. Consider it pure joy. In other words, James is not telling us how to feel. James, you know, he's not saying to us, pretend that what you are going through is fun. He's not saying whatever suffering you're going through, just make sure you go put on the front and just go around with a sickly grin on your face or a stiff upper lip. James is not saying that. He's actually telling us to engage our minds. He's saying, consider. In other words, he's saying that we need to think about trials and suffering in a certain way. There's a point of view that we all need to adopt when we are facing trials. A particular way to think about them, you know. And notice also, secondly, that James says that this applies to trials of many kinds. James has a whole range of situations in mind here. And if you read through the rest of the letter, then you'll get a bit of a feel of some of the trials that the Christians James knows are facing. For example, there are many who are facing massive injustice. There are some who are facing extreme poverty. There are some who are very sick. Some who are fearful. Some who are sorrowful. Some who have lost. And yet James keeps it general, doesn't he? He just says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And might I submit to you today, I think it's great that he does this. Because it's easy for us, I think, to say something like this. Well, my situation is just different. You know, my situation is more difficult. No one has to go through what I go through. It's just different in my case. The normal rules just don't apply. And James is saying, 
No. Trials of many kinds. This applies to all of us. James is saying there's a way of thinking about our suffering that can bring us joy. And so if we try and say, well, this doesn't really apply to me, then we are robbing ourselves of joy by not applying it. So James says, consider it pure joy. And he goes on to explain why in verse 3. Have a look down at verse 3 or just have a listen to what he says next. He writes in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Trials teach us, says James, to persevere. Doesn't sound very appealing now, does it? But he goes on to explain why in verse 4. Have a listen to verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says perseverance is worth getting into because it has a wonderful goal. Perseverance can make us mature. It can make us complete. It can make us not lack in anything. And that is what we most deeply long for as Christians if we are completely honest with ourselves. We long to be complete in Christ, don't we? We want to be whole. Surely we want to know him know him more deeply in our lives. Surely we want to be far more conscious of his blessing and of his presence, don't we? And James is saying to us that trials give us the opportunity to grow and make us more mature as Christians. You know, trials, says James, is the spiritual equivalent of a grow bag. It's how God has made it to work. Our faith grows by learning to persevere in hardship. Now, on one level, that's quite humbling, isn't it? It's humbling because it means we need maturing. All of us, no matter how young or old we are, no matter what our background, no matter the level of Christian experience we've had, we all need maturing, don't we? We all need to learn to move on and to grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if all we pursue in this life is comfort and convenience, which is what the world runs after, then our faith will be very shallow. If we never have to have to go through any kind of trial, then we'll never ever mature and be complete as Christians. So it's very humbling, but it's also very encouraging because James is saying there is a purpose to our trials and suffering. They are not for nothing. In fact, one Christian writer puts it like this. Trials are God's vote of confidence in us. Let me say it again. Trials are God's vote of confidence in us. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not painful. Far from it. And it doesn't mean that we're going to go looking for suffering and hardship. But what James is saying is that trials can be the opportunity for us to gain the most valuable thing on earth, which is a faith that is mature and complete. And if that is what we, is that, is that something that we deeply long for, which I'm sure, for honest, that is, as, yes, we do, then James says it will help us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Now, I don't know what half of you are going through. 
maybe for some of you at Hollywell, the trial is bereavement. For others, it might be a broken relationship or a lack of relationship. There may be a number of us here this morning at Hollywell who are deeply fearful of loneliness. Still, there may be others here who are coping with a breakup of a family or with ongoing health problems. Perhaps some of you at Hollywell, you're wrestling with an issue from the past, something that you've done or something that's been done to you, and it's causing you great trauma. Still, there might be others here who are facing deep anxiety or depression, and you struggle to sleep at night. For others, it might be a particular battle with a particular sin, and sometimes you feel victory, and the next thing you know, you're, you're right in it again. And you're just wondering, is there a way out? Or whatever it is, James says, if we consider it pure joy, it will help us. James is saying, we have to consider it all pure joy. We have to think about it all in the light of what God is doing through it. We have to think about it in the terms of the prospect that it affords to surge ahead in our relationship with the living God. And if we cherish such a prospect of a deeper and richer faith, then we will consider it pure joy. It is not a wasted experience. Far from it. So that's James' first piece of pastoral advice, consider it pure joy. And the second one is in verses 5 to 8, and he says this, Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. You know, trials, they give us the opportunity to grow, of course. But that doesn't necessarily mean we'll know what to do. And so James says, if you want to discern what God is teaching you through trials, or how to conduct yourself in trials, if you need God's help to know how to live, then you need wisdom. And so he says, we are to ask God for wisdom. Very often when we are going through times of difficulty, we can feel particular disorientation, can't we? Just recently, my wife and I, we had members of my family over for a few nights. And it was really wonderful because we hadn't seen them for a very, very long time, partly because of COVID, partly for other reasons. Anyway, it was a really great time, but one time we're having lunch and my sister just starts crying from nowhere. It it turned out that... um, Something had come to the surface, something that happened to her when she was a teenager, and she'd been having flashbacks and nightmares, and it's been affecting her in her workplace and all sorts. Um, and you know, it was horrible, and as the day was going on, I just could not help but think to myself in my own heart, Lord, what on earth are you doing? I just don't understand. I just don't know how are you going to navigate my family through this? And so James says we need to ask God for wisdom. Have a listen to verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And we're to ask God for wisdom because how God responds to that request is absolutely, gloriously wonderful. Listen to what James says next. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all and without finding fault. So wonderful. James says, God gives generously. He gives to all of us. He is not stingy with his wisdom. He doesn't hold back. And he doesn't give us a tiny bit. 
No, the Lord is generous with his wisdom and he longs to help us. Even a Muppet like me from North Yorkshire can come to the living God and ask for wisdom and he will give it to me and generously so. And he gives without finding fault. God doesn't, you know, he's not standing there and saying, ah, oh, mate, you really have screwed things up again. No, God is not like that. God, he longs to help me and he longs to help you. He longs to help all of us. And he longs to give us his wisdom and do so generously without finding fault. And actually, that's what we actually learned when we first came to Christ, if we can remember that particular occasion. Because we learned that God is generous. He's given no less than his own son. We learn that God gives to all. And we learn that he doesn't do it to find fault. He wipes away our faults in Christ. And so James is saying, remember who this God is. In your trials, in your suffering, remember that he loves all of his children, including you, and he longs to help you. And therefore, all of us, we can be sure that he wants to give us his wisdom, and so we must ask him for it. But do notice, verse 6, James does add a qualification, a condition, if you like. Listen carefully to verse 6. James says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the person who asks, uh, who doubts, is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. James says we mustn't doubt. And James is using the word doubt in a very specific way. To be clear, James is not saying that you can't have ever had a question. Or can't have ever struggled with some part of the Christian faith. James is not saying that you can't have ever wrestled with any part of the Bible's teaching. And he's not saying that somehow you've got to work yourself up into a state where you feel nothing but absolute belief. No, when James says we mustn't doubt, what James does mean is someone who doesn't have split loyalties. James says, verse 6, he must believe and not doubt. And he describes the person who doubts in verse 8 as someone being double-minded. In other words, he's describing someone who we might say is being two-faced. Or in the original language, it's someone who is double-souled. You know, someone who we might say they're trying to hedge their bets, you know. Someone who says, yeah, I'm going to ask God for wisdom, but I'm also going to look over my shoulder just in case the world has something better up its sleeve. And so the doubter is someone who doesn't ultimately trust that God's way is the best way. And so James says they are double-minded. They are trying to live in two places at once, and they're trying to move in two directions at once, and it doesn't work. And therefore such people are unstable. You can't move in two directions at the same time. You're doing the spiritual splits, if you like. So my friends, if that is us, if that is any of us here this morning, if we're trying to get wisdom from God, but if we're also trying to say, well, I'll also see what the world has to offer up its sleeve at the same time and see if that is better, James says we will just remain unstable. And he says, verse 7, that such a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You see, God is sincere about giving us his wisdom. 
And so we need to be sincere about receiving it. Right? And if we are, if we want to receive God's wisdom because we long to follow his ways, James shows us that God will indeed give us his wisdom. Verse 5 is a wonderful, glorious promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously and it will be given to you. Now, that doesn't mean that we will always feel a sudden wash with wisdom when we pray that prayer. Once we pray for wisdom, it doesn't mean that there will be a sudden flash of insight and that we'll suddenly know exactly what we should be doing. To be honest, my friends, we may not feel any less confused when we pray for wisdom. But here's the thing. I do take it from what James is saying here this morning. I do take it that God, he will give us his wisdom, whether we feel it or not. And he will protect us from making the foolish worldly decision when we are going through pain and trial. And so, in the midst of our, in the midst of our sufferings, we need to ask God for wisdom and be sincere about it. And we must also be resolved to apply it when it comes. So, James says we are to consider it pure joy. We are to also ask God for wisdom. And finally, verses 9 to 11, we must boast in our gospel position. That's our third heading on your notice sheet. Boast in your gospel position. You know, if you look at verses 9 to 11, it seems as though James has <laughs> randomly changed topic. He's moved from trials to the issue of wealth. He talks about those in humble circumstances and those who are rich. And it kind of feels as though James has jumped tracks. In fact, you know, a lot of people kind of describe James as a bit of a crazy scatterbrain. You know, someone who is disorganized and lacks concentration because he keeps jumping from one topic to another. And so he will not be a great assistant for Joseph's office, I'm sure of it. But I take it that James mentions the rich and the poor here because our economical situation, whatever it happens to be, is not incidental to how we cope with trials and suffering. Whether we are richer or poorer, wherever we fall on the packing order, James says all of us need to do the same thing. We need to boast in our position. Not our financial one, but our spiritual one. Our position before God. The position the gospel puts us in. And so James says the poor, in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances, he says to them they ought to take pride in their high position. And I think he says that because of this. If you are poor then the message of the world to you is that you have failed. You have failed at life and you need to dream of more and you need to aspire to more. That is often the message that we get in the West, isn't it? And the world often, it just sneers at those who are poor. And yet to the Christian who is poor, the gospel says you are in a high position. Not because that you are poor, but because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, however poor you are, spiritually you are in a very high position. You have a glorious inheritance waiting for you in heaven. All that the Father has for his Son has been extended to you. And Christians who are poor need reminding of this. 
Because in times of trial and difficulty, James, he says to us, you know, when the world looks down on you because of your circumstances, don't look at other people and what they have materially speaking. Remember instead that because of the cross, you are rich in the sight of God. And so do not be bitter about those who may have more than you materially speaking, but instead boast in your high position. Because the Lord Jesus, he regards you highly, more we can ever imagine. And he has an inheritance waiting for you. So the poor are to boast in their gospel position, and the rich, James says, are to do exactly the same thing. Take a look at verse 10. Or just listen. The rich, verse 10, should take pride in their low position. You see, if you're wealthy, then often the message of the world to you is this. You've made it. You've done it. Good job. Well done. And yet the gospel says, however much standing you have in this world, however much respect and popularity that you might have in this world, remember that you are only a Christian because God has been generous to you. You are only a Christian because you've received the spiritual handout. You've received charity from God. And that is exactly what grace is. And James says, dwell on that. And remember just how fleeting the acclaim of this world is. Again, verse 10, the rich should take pride in their low position, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even as they go about their business. James is saying, if you are rich, whatever the world celebrates in you, it's transient. In other words, it will not last. It's like one of those wildflowers that James would have been familiar with in the Middle East. It just pops up, just takes a quick blast of desert air, and then it's withered and gone. Or it's the equivalent of a pot plant in my house. If you were to ever give me a pot plant, however glorious it looks, in the matter of hours, through neglect, it will wither and die. And you would have wasted your time and money picking it out for me. And James says, if we are wealthy, whatever the world celebrates in us, it will quickly pass. And so for some of you, your wealth might indeed be your bank balance. Maybe you are doing well financially and you have a level of disposable income. And for some of you, your wealth indeed might actually be your looks or your health in general. It might be your popularity at the school just down the road, or on the estate as you guys live in, or on social media. It might indeed be that relationship that you're in, or your academic success, given the university status around here. Or for some of you, it might indeed be your sporting skills. Or for others, for some of you, it might be your kids or your grandkids and what they can do. But whatever it is, James says that will all pass away and quickly. Hold to those things lightly. Don't boast in those things. They will all be gone before you know it. Now, if you're rich, boast in your low position instead. The thing you need to say to yourself 
is that I am nothing without Jesus Christ. And make that your boast. And the rich need to be reminded of this, especially in times of trial, because it is tempting, if you are rich in any way, to think that you are very, very able. And so when a trial comes, when you are faced with particular suffering, you cannot help but think to yourself sometimes, well, I can sort this out. My bank balance, or my popularity, or my, my friendship circles, whatever it is, my health, that will keep me going, and that will get me through. And what happens is, we lose our dependency on the living God. And that's why I think James puts this warning here. When we're faced with trials, whatever we may have in this world, we need to depend on the living God and boast in the gospel and say that all these other things, they will all pass. Remember your gospel position and boast in that. In summary, if you are poor, boast in your high position. You are a child of the living God and you are much esteemed by him. If you are rich, boast in your low position. You have been humbled by the gospel and you are nothing without the Lord Jesus. The poor need to remember the certainty of heaven. The rich need to remember the transience of earth. Both types. I mean, all of us, to be honest, wherever we fall in this world, what we need to remember is this. It's God's estimation of us that will count in the end. So make the gospel our boast, especially when we're going through pain and trial. Friends, as we close, we are living in a very strange and difficult time. We've been doing it for over two years now with this coronavirus pandemic. And with everything going on in Ukraine and elsewhere, we are going through tough seasons, aren't we? And James is saying to us, he is longing that we do not lose heart and that we don't come off track in our Christian life. Now, it's worth saying that James gives us today does not weigh the pain. None of these things will make something that hurts hurt less. James is not offering us a quick fix. But what he does offer, I think, is the possibility of endurance, of being able to stand the test, And so he says to us, consider it pure joy. Rejoice in what God might be achieving through your trials. Ask God for wisdom. God loves to give his wisdom. Make sure you're sincere and that you want it. But if you ask for it, he will give it to you. And boast in your gospel position. Whatever you are going through, whatever your life circumstances right now, boast in the position that you are in because of the gospel, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me finish by reading verse 12 again. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him.